بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين ولا أقبى تلم التقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين والصلوات الله وسلامه ولا أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه يجمعين اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جعلت سهلا وأنت تجل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا وعليكم السلام ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم أعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Nikah you missing a sapira. And a customer, what? You're messing us up. Uncle Abdul Haq come up to me, yeah? And he goes, Is this the last lesson or the, there's one more left? I go, There's one more left. He goes, Does that mean we're going to have party next week? Are <laughs> you a sick guy? I said, You come down, don't worry, man. We'll have party anytime you come. Right, what flavor is this? This is fizzy tutti frutti. Okay, and I'm not this one, all right? Okay? Yeah. Took the whole flipping box that packed it. All right, what's this one? That's non fizzy tutti frutti. That's, that's, look at that. And he brings, he brings, and he thinks to himself, you know what? There's going to be some packs out there who can't deal with the fizzy one. Like me, by the way. I can't deal with the fizzy one. So he brought the non fizzy one as well. Yeah, we get spoiled hardcore, man. SubhanAllah. You guys can do the fizzy one. We've got celebrations. I think we'll do it. We'll open it up at the end of the class when we attack the uncles just to reduce the. We attacking uncles. Hatrick, yeah. Third dars in a row. Yes, it's enough, isn't it? Last two lessons. Adima, you missed Yarad. Honestly, Yarad, I don't know what's going on. It must look worse online as well. Well, I saw a little bit after we know. Can't do that again. It looks bad, Yarad. It, did he, huh? Yeah, you'd know about online, wouldn't you? Yeah? yeah. We should have a lesson every. We should have a lesson every uh, every weekend. Uh, sorry, we should have a class every weekend, because there are members of sisters, yeah, and it reminds the sisters to actually come to a class. So that's a blessing. Some of the brothers, mashallah, making appearance as well. Usmani, how you doing, bro? You right, yeah. Charatiga, all right then. So um, I wanted to say, alhamdulillah, that I decided. To, honestly, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna say, Daniel, what's happening, yara? I was waiting for a lift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I messed up, man. I got my times wrong. Apologies. Yeah. Uh, I was this close. Because I'm honest, Banda, isn't it? I was this close to doing this lesson from London today. Soho's an interesting area. Okay. I went on a little visit, this, that. This way. Behind. Yeah. Can you uh, uh, Dad helped uh, the sister here. Um, oh, she might want to go somewhere, actually. Um, the uh, uh, what was I saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always interesting. Yeah, brought back here a lot of. Uh, you must say good or bad memories about old memories. We just meant to leave it without hijack, without without. Okay, just brought back memories. Okay, so uh, it's very nice. London's very nice. I was enjoying myself. Oh no, yeah. There was a shooting. As long as there's no one near me, yeah, I'm alright. So I just wanted to say that. Um, so I got changed. And I came back. Yeah. Anyway, stop messing about wasting time. What I was going to tell you guys is, especially all you folks online, I've noticed that maybe over the last one or two weeks, we might have got a bit uh, behind on questions and stuff. So please post the questions in this. Uh, I mean, Rafi, I normally does it, but uh, go back and check over the last couple of lessons and post the questions that we've missed out, please. Okay. So that we can do some question uh, answer session, and also I know that yesterday's lesson, last week's lesson, was a bit all over the show, and so it's quite possible that I might have kind of you know missed a few things. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm also not too sure what we actually covered from the text and what we didn't. I've got a feeling that we jumped straight to the whole issue of in line with the shoulders, and we didn't talk about the fingers. Did I do that, or did I? I did talk about fingers. So I'm done, yeah? I said not like this, like that, not like this and like that. I didn't, did I? <laughs> okay, never mind, bro. All right, so let's have a look at the text then. And uh, Shaz, and let's uh, 
let's uh, let's read out the old um, yeah. So let's start then. Aywa. ويقول الله أكبر يا فم المدو. So you send the قيام عند قد من إقامتها وتسوية الصف. ويقول الله أكبر رافعا يديه مدمومة الأصابع ممدودة ممدودة حذو من كبيه كالسجودي ويسمع الإمام عن خلف من خلفه قراءته في أول غير ظهرين وغيره نفسه ثم يقبض قوعة يسراه تحت سرته يعني we might even get towards that last sentence as well today uh, okay شاز down Alright, so it's sunnah to stand when Qadi said from the Iqamah and it's also sunnah to straighten the prayer lines. We've done that. He then says, Allahu Akbar, we've done that. Raising his hands, we've been doing that over the last few weeks, yeah? Raising his hands to the height of his shoulders. Alright, that's maybe why. Just because of the English, I might have just covered it. Because obviously, in Arabic, it's a bit different. So raising his hands to the height of his shoulders with his fingers together, but outstretched, just like when in prostration. Um... Just uh, just like when in prostration. Can you uh, just take it up, Shaz? Uh, and uh, because I didn't get time to uh, uh, translate these extra lines, but um, it would be something like to the level of Shaz, I don't know what it says at the bottom. وَيُسْمِعُ الْإِمَامَ مَنْ خَلْفَهُ So the Imam, this is off the top of my head, but this is good for your working notes for today. The Imam, when you make someone else hear, what would you say? How would you describe that in English? Yusmi'u means that he makes them hear. Or they should hear him. Is that how, is that how I should say? Those who are behind the imam should hear him. But yusmi'u means that the imam has got to put the effort in. So how do I put that into English? This is why... Not makes himself heard. Huh? Projects. Yeah, yusmi'u. Yusmi'u comes from the word asma'a. To make someone else hear you. So how would you put that into a sentence? Huh? No, no, no. Here, we don't need to go away from hearing. We just, huh? Allows them to hear? Yeah, I think that's something close. Or, uh, uh, huh? Yeah, okay. Says it, so the Imam says it loud enough so those behind him can hear his qira'a, can hear him, such as in the recitation of the first of the two units of other than the dhuhr, the two dhuhr prayers. Such as his recitation... In the first of the two units, in in all of the prayers other than the two dhuhrs. Yeah, did that did that make sense? Yeah, obviously it may. Uh, yeah, whatever. And, and other than the imam, وغيره نفسه, and other than the imam, he only نفسه. He only uh, yeah, only says it to himself. Yeah. Uh, Except that the way that the Arabic is written, or the author, he doesn't want to say that he says it to himself because that would be our position. Because as we said last week, or the week before, that we we believe that there is no condition that you go. Yani, as long as you say it, it's fine. You don't need to hear it. So it wouldn't be an other than the Imam says it himself. It would be an other than the Imam, according to the Hanbalis, an other than the Imam, he hears it himself. Okay, he hears it himself. Then he grasps his wrist, his right wrist, and places it under his navel. That's roughly the text that we're going to be covering this week and next week. All right, okay. So, um, with respect to uh, Al Mumti, it's a bit all over the place to be honest. It's like 26, 27, 28, 29, because we definitely covered. Uh, uh, 30 because I can see the three points there because I may have translated it on the portal and I think that was even before yesterday that was like two weeks ago Itba'a sunnah sunnah qalb so so I'm just going to fill in the gaps so let's just get everything right we've said Allahu Akbar we're talking about the very first takbir he raises his hands to the level of his shoulders and then we had that discussion that there are so many different narrations that talk about the ears, the ear lobes, the ear, the shoulder, the palm of the hand to the shoulder, hand of the hand to the shoulder. So maybe twenty, maybe more, maybe less, plethora of a hadith, all of them authentic, discussing the height of the hands, which would suggest then a complex, a complex 
expression of the hands throughout the prayer. What can we say? Firstly, that the vast majority, if not consensus, believed in the sunnah of raising hands at the beginning of the prayer. Okay? Even the Hanafis and the Malikis. Then the majority consider that the hands are to be raised at certain points within the prayer as well. We, we discussed that hadith, and that's going to come later. It's not its part, a part now. We said on going for ruku'ah, on returning from ruku'ah, and then coming up after two raka'ah. Hadith Bukhari, hadith Abdullah bin Umar. Yeah? So we've done that as well. We looked at some discussion, blah, blah, blah. That's coming later. Um, we then said that the other thing that we can take from all of these hadith of the raising of the hands is that the that there is possibly an argument from the actions of the companions that the second raising of the hands uh, or uh, meaning sorry every subsequent raising of the hands after takbiratul ihram okay is slightly lower than the first one an indication it doesn't seem clear from the prophet but it seems that the action of the love and umar might take it to here as opposed to the full on you know, full-on, open focus, kind of, you know, get it right, spot on. And, you know, um, one of the things I wanted to just maybe add here that, that should be said is that, what do we call the opening takbir? Takbiratul Ihram, or, is that the names? At-Tahrima. Yeah, so At-Tahrima or Takbiratul Ihram. Both indicating quite a solemn, quite a, quite a uh, serious moment. It's the takbir that makes everything haram. Okay, what's the other ones called? Every other takbir goes into what category? Actually, not every other takbir because the Eid ones wouldn't come under this. The Janazah ones wouldn't come under this. Or wouldn't be called this. I wouldn't even know what they're called, actually. No. They are called takbiratul intiqal. Okay? Uh, they are known as the takbirs of al-intiqal, movement. All right? So what's happening there? I'm sure we discussed this about what Ibn Taymiyyah said about why there's a takbir. I did, yes. Yeah? About the fact that the focus goes and your mind starts wandering and then you say Allahu Akbar again to bring it back into focus. Alaykum salam And that's, that's normally linked to a, a, a moment of movement. Yeah, I need to get you back in the game. But I don't, maybe I didn't mention the name being intiqal. So that's fine. So uh, intiqal comes from, you need to move from one place to another. To move from one place to another. So those are linked with that moving uh, period. So I actually think that it might make sense for it to be far more relaxed. The nature and the height and everything of the move, because it's happening during a move. It's happening on the way down, it's happening on the way back up, and it's happening when you are standing up and you're all over the show and you're standing back up. It's not like kind of, it's not like the takbirat al-ihram, which is a moment. It's like, you know, let me just get myself ready. I'm about to move into the zone. Allahu Akbar. Especially an imam. An imam will be kind of like, you know, just take that extra second to, to steady himself and look around, everyone ready, whatever. What. So it's like, a, you know, it's a serious moment. Whereas you're already in a serious moment now, so these takbirs might even, we could even argue they have a slight less function. This is ugly, by the way, nothing to be taken from a textual point of view. It might just explain why, A, why the companions did do it lower, and B, why you should have a relaxed attitude to these ones. All right. More hadith then start to mention different things. So we start to get the understanding of these different heights. Two classical, what well, has been three classical approaches to this. The hadith that talk about different things. The first approach, you choose your opinion, you stick to it. And you don't move from it. That's the Hanafi opinion. Yeah? If they, if they, and they, remember, within a madhab, there are also madhahib. Yeah, and within a madhab, a school of thought, there's positions and that are taken some are given fatwa by, some are considered the position of the school, some are considered to be rejected by the earlier and then accepted by the later. Some are understood to be the position of some of the imams. The Hanafi school, of course, is one of the most studied fiqh schools. And one of the reasons for that, of course, is because they're the kings of fiqh. Everything comes down to fiqh. And they, they, they establish so many of the uh, 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 like uh, terminologies, the categories. They just went to a whole different level. Okay? And... Uh, when you've gone to such a different, such a detailed level of classification, it just makes it easier for people coming up afterwards just to use it. Like the classic example would be uh, makruh. Everyone understood the concept of makruh, okay? But Hanafi said, no, no, none of that. Makruh tahrimi, makruh tanzihi, the issue of wajib, the issue of fard, we're going to be specific. 
and we're going to be more accurate. Shafi's come along and said, yeah, we'll have some of that. And they just nicked it. And they've got no basis for their own. In fact, I argue that some of the Shafi'i scholars do not even believe in the actual basis for why there are these differing categorizations. But uh, they're very useful. They're very, very useful. Uh, Muhammad Faqi asked this question in one of our groups. He asked, what's the basis for the Hanafi? Uh, uh, is there a basis, he said, for why they call it Tahrimi and Tanzeeh? I said, yes, this is the basis. Da, 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 da. And I gave the explanation based upon the hadith. Because it's a hadith, if you remember, maybe year two, year three, we spoke about the hadith having two aspects. Something which is something which is very clear in its indication. The dalala is the indicative meaning of the, of the text. And it has to be qati thubut as well. It has to be established. You have to have these two aspects. If you have a dhanni, yani something which is uh, yani dhanni from a dalala point of view, or dhanni min thubut, yani it's speculative from either uh, it's being established, i.e. being authentic, or it's speculative in terms of its indication, meaning the meaning is not clear, then this obviously, it, it leads to a differing appreciation. So the Hanafis wanted to put that in immediately. And when they put it in immediately, they took it even further. They said that when it comes to a hadith point of view, that which is speculative in being established, they did something which the other fuqaha had not done before, and certainly Ahlul Hadith had not done before. And actually we reject this act as well. And that is that they said that the hadith which is called Khabar Ahad, a hadith which has a chain of transmission, which is of a minimal number, one or two or whatever. So in the chain... When the Prophet ﷺ tells a companion, the companion tells his student a tabi, and then he tells his student a tabi, tabi, and then he will tell maybe his student who then becomes an imam in hadith, right? And that obviously is now talking how many people in the chain. So obviously there's a five in, the, in that chain. And normally the, the, the random, am normal hadith of Bukhari or Muslim, okay, that mid-era muhadith is going to be five, six, seven narrators, okay? When you're looking at a supremely beautiful hadith, you're looking from the thuluthiyat, yani one which is uh, three people only involved. Now, as you can imagine, as we uh, said, not Chinese whispers, no, not musical chairs, Chinese whispers, okay, get that right this time. Uh, when, you, when you increase the amount of people sitting in the, in, the, you know, in the chairs, then by the time you start something here, it changes when you get down to the end. If you reduce the number of people, then we're going to have a more accurate thingy. That's just uh, common sense. So a hadith which you see has only got then to Malik it's a dream chain it's a dream chain, chain Malik is picking up that hadith in the Muatta within 150 odd years of it being actually said or less actually and uh, it, it only having three people not only having three people but three of the very greatest of the imams of the field the most trustworthy the most memorized because a person in hadith can have problems in different areas. So a person yani, might have the greatest memory in the world, but he's not trustworthy. Or a person, for example, he has the greatest memory but makes mistakes because he just, I don't know, whatever. Or maybe he's, he's, his memory is brilliant, but he just makes mistakes. It's all different kind of aspects. So uh, uh, when you have an imam in hadith, then you're talking about someone who is... Uh, covering all the bases, not just in terms of memory and in terms of authority, and they know all different narrators, and they know the science itself, meaning they're able to know immediately when someone says, I heard it from so-and-so, and he immediately says to himself, that's not possible because you weren't born by then, that's not possible because he never traveled to that region, that's not possible because his students never ever went that way. That's where all the mustalah hadith and ilm al-rijal, knowing the, the realities of the names of these narrators, and their movements, and their dates, and whatever. So what I want you to know is that when you have a, ch- when you have a hadith, Normally, the Prophet ﷺ does not tell one companion a hadith alone. All right? Normally, unless it's a private type hadith, private type setting. So if a hadith is announced amongst a group of people, right, and only one person hears it, we, have a, we, we don't have a concern, but we're, we're, we're going to note it. We're going to note it. All right? Now, uh, then, and it's not going to be a mega concern, but it's, but it's, it's, it's noted. <coughs> if one companion tells only one other tabi'i, that is what we would say uh, a concern, but not a negative concern. It's something that we're going to look at and think, hmm. And then if that tabi, tabi who especially is in the area of knowledge, especially an area of hadith, an area of whatever, only tells one other student, we're also going to think, what's happening here? So I want you to understand that each tabak, each layer, all right, is a generation of people. 
a generation of people. And at every generation of people, we are expecting a hadith to spread, to keep spreading further. If at any stage of these stages, have we done this before? Yes. That was the most irritated yes ever, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> have we? Definitely. I don't believe she has at all. He's just hungry. I know. He said to me, are you kidding me? This is where we're going to eat. I said, yeah. He goes, but I said, don't now, Shaz. We've got a dars now. Say Qasim. Would that you're the narrator of the trailer? Tell us, is that true? That <laughs> <laughs> was cheap, Dad. You see how much they laughed. Unbelievable. What a cheap bunch of baggies. You see that? Attack the girl just like a bam, straight in. No need for that at all. No need. She did what you guys, she did what you guys didn't want to do. Couldn't do, afraid to do, can't speak English, can't pronounce words. Well, you tried to do. I did. I think I did try to do it. I did. I think I did. I think I did. Then I think we, I timed it. Ten times. I shut up there ten times. Anyway, so um, anyway, just to finish up, the point I want to make is that at every generation, if at any of these generations, it goes down to one person, one person, or two, or three. Yani a minimal number and not a large spread of 8, 10, 15 onwards, 8, 10, 15 onwards. That is how then we differentiate a hadith in terms of its establishment using the number of people at, at, at each level in the chain. It's a category of using, uh, 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 it's a category of classifying the authenticity of this hadith. Because what I want you to understand is that you can, you can, uh, classic, you can make a hadith authentic a number of different ways. You can either look at purely a chain, people, yani heavy exercise, or just how good they are in terms of memory, or how trustworthy they are, or what kind of issues of aqidah they, they may have. So you're looking at each, in each time, you're looking at a different scenario, different situation each time. So when you're classified, when, you, when you're focused just on numbers, just on numbers, then what you're looking at is that at each time when the next person tells the next person how many people are there. And if at each level you have a large number of people, this is what we call a hadith which is mutawatir. Hadith which is uh, indisputable. In or un? See that? One in, one un. So, I didn't say undisputed I said indisputable or undisputable so the women have gone into undisputable and now they're doubting themselves they're looking to each other for, uh, for support why don't you even now get your google out and the boys are we sticking with in or un? amazing Another term for indisputable. <laughs> <laughs> indisputable. I like it. There's a couple of questions, but I just want to finish off this, this thing. When it comes to mutawatir, it becomes then, there's so many people. The whole point of mutawatir means what? That it's just so, it's so many that it's... Let's have a look here. Let's bring it up. Yeah. I can't. Yani, I didn't even know if that's English or Arabic. How about that? Where? Oh, right. Okay, here we are. Which hadith is this? Okay, anyway, enlarge it then. So you look at this hadith, right? So you can see that at the level of the companions, is it, are they watching it or not? Are they seeing it online? Can everyone see it on, on the screen? Ish. I agree. Shaz is fine. I just needed the lines. That's the thingy. So the Prophet is on the right. You can see it, yes? Everybody? Online they're seeing this, yeah? Yeah. 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 So uh, from a companion's point of view, you have there uh, one, and then down two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's about seven different companions here, okay? That have narrated it from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Yes, go on. Uh, twice, yeah, because he's, uh, why? Referring to different yani, chains, different yani, types, different, and maybe different even versions. Maybe one time he narrates it a certain wording, maybe another time a different wording. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know what the hadith is here. I'm just using the 
the uh, example of just so that you get an idea. Each level there's a chain. Yes, What's the difference between So I'm going to come to that. So there's seven, just from what I can see there, different companions that have generated it. And then as you can see, the next generation in this so far, yes, they are all tabi'in. Okay, because sometimes, of course, as we mentioned last week, or was that protect his house? I get mixed up. Oh, it's protect his house, yes. That then, uh, ju- just because you hear someone hear from a companion, it doesn't mean it's a tabi'i. Yes? I mentioned that in the class. It could be a companion. And we have hadith, famous hadith, that have three companions narrating from one another. And sometimes even more. Okay? And that would obviously be of the same generation. But it's just that they weren't there and he heard it from him, he heard it from them, and so on and so forth. Um, but here, just from the screen, these are all tabi'in. These are all aimed to tabi'in. Okay? So you've got these folks here. And then they've gone and then said it to people who are tabi'in and atba'a tabi'in, meaning they're of the next generation and from the same generation. The, the point here is that look at that second, second, uh, 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 that second level of narrators. There's like 15, 20 there. Look at the next. There's 30, uh, 20, 30 there. And as you can see, it keeps increasing and it keeps increasing. I just want to show you something interesting. If you look at, um, Shaz, if you can see... Um, I want you to yeah. If you if you look at where it says Ma'mar, can you see Zuhri? Go back to Ibn Ibn Musayyib. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Now come down to Zuhri across across. Yeah, you know it from him. Now keep yeah. going across. This is Ma'mar. You see Ma'mar Ibn Rashid. Okay. This is where we have the first actual collecting of Hadith. We are starting to now have it collected. Okay. This is the teacher of Abdul Razak al-San'ani. See, look, go to the left now. You can see Abdul Razak. And you've heard Asyani uh, uh, mention this a lot. And in actual fact, look, you can even see his uh, 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 volume. See, he's actually started to collect it. You, know, you might have heard of Professor uh, Hamidullah. You know, he was the, the, the don yani, from uh, uh, taking on the Orientalists. Because obviously, uh, uh, he spent time in Germany. He was fluent in everything. I think he might have even been Afghan or something. Mm-hmm. But the point was that he was... I can't remember actually what his nationality was, but he studied Arabic, Dean, and then all European languages, and he took on all the Orientalists. He said, come on then, let's have you. And he just wrote and wrote and wrote. And if I remember correctly, this is the kind of area of MTS, whatever, they like this kind of stuff, right? Um, if I remember correctly, he even translated some of the early narrations from Ma'mar ibn Rashid, who is his teacher. What I want to say to you is that you can see that it's not been collected as a book there because we don't have a printed version. But what we absolutely know is that he wrote, he wrote it down. We have absolute no doubt that he used to write hadith down. The Orientalists, they want to see written records. They're not happy with our oral tradition. Okay, and we say to them, our oral tradition is better than our written one. Why are you wasting time with the written one? But okay, if you want it, then we have that as well. If you want to really take a next level, we have writing from Uthman. We have writing from Abdullah bin Mas'ud. Yeah, and even though the Prophet ﷺ, he told companions not to do that. Yes, he didn't want them to get the Quran mixed up. He didn't want their personal du'a and adhkar to be in, entered into Quranic script because they would write it on the on the margins. They would write notes of yani points on the margins. And of course, if you're not on the game, then it gets mixed up. It gets taken, it's swallowed in. So that's the general fear. But they, but this this this. Uh, statement of the Prophet ﷺ was never seen as a prohibition. It was seen as a warning. And that's why they did continue. Even though the Prophet ﷺ has said that, they did continue. So Ma'amar definitely wrote things down. And then in the next one, you can see that Abdul Razak al-San'ani is collecting it. So that's what, four, within four generations. And you look at that, you've got a Shafi'i at the top there. You can see Ahmed yani, hundreds of times, okay? Ahmed bin Hanbal, and then and so on and so forth. And then you've got some of the big uh, uh, imams that we know. So we've got Ibn Khuzayma at the top. We've got uh, Nasai N A S dot is obviously his his shorthand for Imam Nasai. Then you've got um, I can't even see what else you've got. Anyway, and you've got Muslim on the left hand side. You've got Bukhari on the left hand side. They come quite later, as you can see, um, Ibn Hibban um, and and the like. Anyway, uh, so what, what I want to focus I want to focus on is that if a hadith, I want you to imagine. This hadith would be considered so maybe something like mutawatir hadith, this one. Like, this is clearly a big hadith, whatever it is. Not this one, Shaz, uh, go back to the other one. Yeah, this is obviously a big hadith. This would be well established from a point of chain's point of view, is brilliant. It is still possible, though, for this hadith to be weak. Why could it be weak? It wouldn't be weak through number of chains. But if we were to do an assessment of every single imam here, and we realized they were all fake, they don't exist, the names were all made up, which is what is tadlis. Tadlis 
is an area of hadith sciences where you're blagging the guy that's reporting from you because you you know that you know what it is I'm going about to tell you a hadith but if I tell you who told me because you don't like him and you think he's the only one I'm going to change his name so I'm going to give him a kunya so I know for example that you never will take the hadith of Ni'matullah so I'm going to say I heard Abu Isa tell me so and so yeah this is common practice to change the thingy sometimes they want to change it even more so so it's possible that all these would be fake alright another way that this hadith could be weak is that you do a, a study of all of these people and all of them are legit but all of them had poor memory, which is very unlikely. What else could be much more likely is that you do a study of the whole of this chain, of this one hadith, you look at all the names, all legit. You look at all their memories, all legit. But then you see the people who are taking from the different people and you know that, hold on, it's not possible for Fulan, for Zuhri to take from Ibn Musayyib, except at a certain era. And at that era, because that's the only time that they sat down and studied in this city at the same time, at that era, Ibn Musayyib was too old and he started to become senile and make mistakes. This is noted in the books of hadith. So at the time that you take a hadith from a scholar is also important. Not just the name, not just the relationship, not just location. But at what point you took the hadith from that person. You get what I'm saying? So it's possible this hadith, even with all of its chains like this, could still turn out weak. And then the final, yeah, anyway. So for us, for now, talking about absolutely nothing to do with this class for the last year, 15 minutes. Okay, when we talk about Khabar Ahad, a singular narration, what we're saying is that at some point in these generations, the number comes down to a minimal number. Waqas asked, What's the hadith mashhur? Mashhur, Aziz, and Gharib are three phrases which refer to categories of, aziz, of Ahad hadith. Ahad hadith basically means any hadith where its chains are a small number, less than nine, less than eight. And if it comes all the way down to the weirdest and the most yani, strangest hadith of all, and they call it a gharib for that reason, it means that there's only one single person that narrated the hadith. Now you might say, one at what point? So I want you to look at this hadith again. Imagine that Abu Huraira is the only one who narrates this hadith. And then he narrates it to Ibn Musayyib, okay? who then narrates it to all those people. And so I want you to, underneath Ibn Musayyib, which has highlight everyone under. Yeah, all the way down. Highlight that. Imagine all these people are not there. It's disappeared. All of it disappeared. And Ibn Musayyib is the only person at that layer, at that yani tabak, okay, that narrates to all those people, this hadith will be written off and be called a gharib hadith. It will be called a singular hadith. That will be the same, for example, if Salim is the only person who narrates it. So imagine on the next generation, Shaz, Salim. Now imagine he's the only person who narrates it uh, uh, at that generation. So everyone else is gone. He hears it from all of the people on the right. He hears that hadith from 20 of the tabi'een. And he tells 100 of the atba' tabi'een. But he's the only link linking those two generations. Again, the hadith will be written off as khabar ahad. And it will be called khabar ahad meaning a singular report. But which category of singular report? This will be a gharib hadith. It will be a, a single hadith which is gharib, meaning that it is the weakest or the most limited, small, restricted number of narrators possible. If it was two or three or four, it's called an Aziz hadith. If it's called Mashhur, if it's like six, seven, eight, nine, and the scholars differ over what numbers. If it's six, seven, eight, nine, then it's called Mashhur, meaning a popular hadith, but it's still not mutawatir. So I want you to understand that scholars are creating classifications to try and give strength. All right? Strength. Now here is where the controversy, yes? It depends how far to the left. So the, the, the distance doesn't matter. It's that if there's a generational issue. The, the, there is a discussion that what if, there, what, what, if, what if a companion is a single one that narrates it? Is that a problem? The majority of scholars said no. The real discussion is within the left. But once it's within the left, then they're all the same. Because only the companions are considered urdul, yani, uh, 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 trustworthy without, without question. Right? Show me the other hadith, Shaz, because I've just, I, I can't work out what that is. Where, where's the Prophet Where is it? This is not hadith, is it? No, this is not hadith. This is something else. And it doesn't matter. But I think you understand the point. Okay? Now, to take it further, what, what, what am I saying now? What am I trying to say? You were talking about... Um, right, yes. Khabar uh, Ahad. So the Hanafis, they came across and they said, listen, okay, so you, to, 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 you know, if the hadith can be classified into Mutawatir and Khabar Ahad, are we going to treat them the same? That's their argument. 
Are you honestly going to treat a hadith which has 100 people on the left, 100 people on the right, hundreds, 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 okay, but one person in the chain, the same as 100, 100, 100, 100. That's their argument. What did Ahl al-Sunnah say? The vast majority of the scholars, they said, if the imam is imam, if the companion is alone, if, if whatever, and is authentic, then it is knowledge, definitive knowledge. I think we covered that before, okay? It is definitive knowledge. doesn't matter if it's only one person. As long as it's established, it's that. They said no. They said that we, and not just the Hanafis, a number, a small group of people, they said no, we can't treat them the same. We can't treat them the same. This is what led to the birth of the idea now of many things that you would have heard, but you didn't realize this was the reason for. This is the reason why Hizbut Tahrir reject punishment of the grave. Have you heard that phrase before? Oh, that's not your generation, but obviously. Okay, if you're from the 90s and the 80s and the 2000s, you'd hear that all the time. Don't join Hizbut Tahrir because they reject yani, the punishment of the grave. Or you would have heard uh, the Hanafis do not believe the witter is, is fart. No, no, you won't hear that. No, you won't hear that. What will you hear? Uh, uh, you'd hear, for example, that... No, no. You'd hear something like... Um, uh, smoking is makru tahrimi or something like that. Even you wouldn't hear that. I'm just making that myself. I don't know what that one was doing. Mm-hmm. I can't even think now of an application. The point being this. What's their point? They're saying that if you base a ruling on a khabar ahad, we're not going to treat that ruling in the same way as a ruling based upon a mutawatir hadith. That's the basic, be, you know, the, you know the, 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 the truth. So effectively, if something has got, you know, 100, 100, 100, yep. Or 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 six 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 six. Yeah, the minimum number for it to be not an ahad hadith. So if they said at that level, and then there's a ruling based upon that saying something is fard or haram, they'll say that's fard or haram. But anything at any point less than that, and and obviously I'm mega mega summarizing. This is like weeks of what I've just done in ten minutes. Okay, then that will then they'll say that it has a it has it has an implication. If it's a hadith in fiqh. It has a legal implication. If it's a hadith in aqidah, it has a theological implication. So for example, if there's a hadith which they consider to be ahad, they'll say that it being ahad means that a person who denies it and says, I, re- I reject this hadith, he won't be a kafir. Whereas if you were to reject a hadith which is haram, then what, what the Hanafis are basically saying, this is incredible thinking by the way, All right, what they're basically saying is that this person is basically saying no to Allah and His Messenger straight out. Because it's established knowledge. It's certain knowledge. It's like you'd say that to the Quran or something like that. So you're rejecting it. Well, you're rejecting it. Then they're kind of making the excuse and they're saying if someone was to reject something which has a potential speculative basis in terms of its authenticity, in terms of being established, then we're going to give the guy a card. We're going to say, you know, he's not out and out kafir, but you know, he could be on the way there or whatever. That's the point. All right? And vice versa as well, from the obligatory and not nature. That's from a sorry, that's from a fiqh point of view. If the hadith was nothing to do with fiqh but iman, so they saw, for example, the Prophet ﷺ said that the slave will be punished in the grave by so and so and so and so. And you look at the hadith, and it's khabar ahad, and not mutawatir, or it is a form of gharib hadith, for example then they would say if the person was to deny the concept of the punishment of the grave, then he wouldn't be a kafir because that principle, that theological fact, has not been established by certain knowledge according to them. What's the response of Ahl-Sunnah? Number of responses. Number one, the principle we reject. If it's authentic, it doesn't matter if one person brings it, it's authentic. Number two, if uh, 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 that's, the, that's the refutation of the principle. The refutation of the consequence is that, uh, and that's why, you, that's why you don't see Hanafis turning around today saying, we reject, uh, if you don't believe, it's not obligatory to believe in the punishment of the grave. Because we'd say that it's, it's established in the Quran, it's established here, it's established there, because there's indications, there's indications, there's indications, so it builds up a complete picture anyway, regardless of the idea of the principle. Sorry? I said what? Hanafis, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 the Hanafis are the ones who developed the idea, not developed the idea, they're the ones who made it famous utilizing Khabar Ahad in fiqh and changing the classification as a result. That's the concept of wajib, because it doesn't make sense, right? 
You have sunnah, which is recommended, and then you have fard, which is obligated. What does it mean to have a category in between? If I was to ask anyone here, what would you describe the category in between? Because in Arabic, is there a difference between wajib and fard? No. Fard is just obligated. What's wajib? is something that you are you have to do as well but it's less uh, of a, like the feels like it's uh, an establishing pillar of your life uh-huh. more than something that you're obliged to do your that's your that's your experience speaking there's nothing in the linguistics to suggest that at all that's very important you understand that everyone here would say the same what moment just said when you say the word fard, it just yeah, it makes your hair go up like that. You know what I'm saying? Whereas when you say wajib, you kind of feel relaxed. That's, that's cultural conditioning. In the language, in the technical sense, there has never been a difference in the language between wajib and fard. However, the Hanafis popularized a difference. So I ask you, what do you understand it to be a difference? Yes, Salman. Is it, is it because of that implication that, that those who then reject a Absolutely, uh, absolutely. But then, uh, when you explain the other thing about Khabar Ahad and how they're treated, is the underlying principle, is the underlying reason the Hanafis adopted that position in order to allow more room. Without a shadow of a doubt. So, so this whole this whole conversation of fifteen minutes of tangent, which I apologize for, which I don't, to be honest, but anyway, is because I said to Muhammad Faqih, if it wasn't for the Hanafis, we'd all be lost, because even if we accept it or not. What they attempted to do is to introduce a principle as their entire fiqh, by the way. Yeah. I, 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 and I've been telling people for donkey's years this. They have no idea. The Hanafi school is out there on a mission just to make things as easy as possible for people. It turns out crazy at the end because they went to every single detail and you create robots. However, it was always with the intention of, you know what? They don't read, they don't study, they don't do anything. So we're going to just tell them to stand like this, do this, that. Don't question, don't ask, just yani, whatever. So it had some consequences, but it's the objective. The objective is what? The objective is to categorize everything in a very, very specific way to the most unbelievable detail. The other madahib, it can't be argued, go to that level. And if you were to, like, like you know, a Hanfi might get, you know, you might say that's a bit unfair. So I would say, I would say this. I'd say this. Out of all four schools, which is the one that's the most intolerant? Yani at any level. At any level. Whether it's politically or socially or whether it's whatever. It's not a shadow of a doubt it's a Hanafi school. The most intolerant. And the people have made it. Let's be fair. Not the Hanafi school, not Abu Hanifa. But the people have led it to being... Or not, maybe not even the people. Maybe some of the leaders or whatever. In, 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 okay, let me put it the other way forward. In what way is the Hanafi school tolerant to other people? <laughs> so, so that's, that's, from, uh, uh, that's from that point of view. And then if you were to argue, which of the four schools encourages people to kind of move on and out of the school? The it would be definitely not the Hanafis. You know what I'm saying? You can argue about the rest, but it's not the Hanafis. So they want control. And I think, as I've said before, I think certain people need control. But that's not a Hanafi school. That's a generation that came I think that, I, I, you know what it is? I always used to think to myself it was a Deobandis. And I used to think, and I, you know, when I was teaching the Anafiq al Salah for the X amount of years, I used to think that it's all the fault of the Indo subcontinent, you know, our pack culture conservativeness yeah. clashing with something nice and convenient, whatever. I think that's too simplistic. I think if we go back further, you'll find slight glimpses of that little bit of whatever, uh, you know, a little bit of. And then you could argue something bigger. You could say then it's not actually conservative nature of Pakistan, but conservative nature of non-Arabs. Because it's a very non arab type of school. Not exclusively, but yani, quite a bit. So it could, yani, this is all supposition. I could all be completely wrong. I could be completely wrong. But what I'm not wrong on about is that wajib and fard as a word is the same. The Hanafis then introduced an idea that, you know what, we can differentiate this in its consequence. So we'll say that the, from the outside, they're exactly the same. But in the details, if one was to deny one of them, he'd become a kafir, and the other one, he wouldn't. Why? Because that one was established by non-Ahad, yani more certain, and this one was established by Ahad, so we'll give the guy a little bit of leeway. Practically, it makes no difference 
it's an academic discussion. It does though, isn't it? When you're saying to someone, if you don't believe this is, you, you are the whole of Islam, or you is... Which is where, which is, which is, which is where... You're opening up so many... You are, which is why the slogans used to come when people started taking interest, yani in the 90s and the 2000s. Yeah. That's why, like I said, Hizbut Tahrir, for all of their khilafah, blah, 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 and their, their, their complete ignorance and lack of tradition, the only thing they became known for in Muslim communities, societies, in the Muslim lands, in the Western lands, these are the people that don't believe in punishment of the grave. Stay well away from them. <laughs> the Masakini, yani, they caused their own problem. They took, they, 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 the Hanafis were never fussed about this issue. Like, you're never going to a Hanafi mosque at any time in your life and they say to you, right, from the Aqidah of Ahl Sunnah, you don't believe in the rejection of the grave. You don't believe in the punishment of the grave. <laughs> that's, that's, the only, that's the only thing that we're brought to believe in. It's correct. But they were saying, we're going to take their principles, we're going to wow the people, the ignorant uni masses, uni students, whatever, that we've got fiqh and we know usul, and what do you think, and you know, you're a thinking person, and it went all, all, all over the place. Yeah, correct, yani, Bukhari made it a major point of this in the Sahih, of using versions of hadith, when we go on Umrah uh, uh, and Hajj, to the groups we do this in the, in the masjid. I say that this incident is a proof of the sunnah, the changing of the qibla. The changing of the qibla is the most famous proof and rejection of the concept of uh, this ahad mutawatir differentiation. There is no differentiation. Certain knowledge is based upon a single person if they are authentic. We're not saying every ahad hadith is authentic. We're saying that if the guy is authentic, then it doesn't matter whether he has another person to back him up because we've established that individual's authenticity. My goodness, what's going on here, man? Where are we? You said there's three classical approaches. One is that you choose your opinion and stick to it. And you said There are three different approaches. So you said there's so many different hadiths talking about placement of hands. Yeah. You said there's three classical approaches to try to reconcile all these differences. Oh, yeah, yeah, correct. Uh, yeah, thank you. There we go. Someone's clocked on, yeah? So we talked about all these hands going up and down, whatever. You've got, two, you've got three options. You're either going to do what the... Fuqaha do mostly, especially the Hanafis, which is say, choose one, ignore the rest, or try to explain away the rest. You get what I'm saying? So it's to the ears, and the reason I said that, now I remember now, I said they're schooled because not all the Hanafis touch their ears. Okay? But the ones who are told to touch their ears, they're told this is the only way that you pray, and the rest, yani, it's, yani, it's okay, it's their opinion, blah, 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 but you don't follow it. You get the point? Yep. So you stick... You stick to that opinion and nothing else matters. The second approach is what? That, um, uh, that uh, like I explained last week, that in this scenario, all of it is the same thing. So you do a massive reconciliation. Yeah, I said that last week. I said if you look at the, uh, the ears and the shoulders, they're all very similar. They're all close. So if they're all so close, then it could mean the same thing. So if I lift my hands here, one person is saying that my hands are on my ears. Another person is saying my hands are on my shoulders. Because one person is looking at my fingers and that's representing the hand. Another person is looking at my palms and that's representing... So that's a subjective reality. So if all of the hadith are all over the show, then we can combine it like that. It's reconciliation. And I said, that's what always that I was comfortable with. And Sheikh Uthaymeen, he came and he said, that that's the third approach, which is that this issue is actually one of those unique ones, or rare ones, I should say, which is so flexible that all of it is game. All of it is happening. They're all authentic hadith. All indicates a different moment, time, mood, yani reality. Now, back in the day, people used to get really confused. They would say, what, the Prophet ﷺ prays in 10 different ways? Well, you would have that problem if it was a significant difference between the actions. But if it's, we're talking about the height of where your hands are, and we know that the focus of the prayer is not yani, the physicality, but the internal, then absolutely you'd expect some variation on the outside. And as you're going to see, unlike Sheikh Uthaymeen, all right, my class position when it comes to position of the hands is that the hands is as flexible as the positioning when you raise them. So I believe that the Prophet lies. I believe that the hands are prayed with at the side, at the sides, like the Malikis pray. I believe that. I believe it to be a Sunnah, and I believe it to be under the thing navel, and I believe it to be on the chest and whatever. Someone says to me, "What do you think the majority time?" I'm going with the chest. But I'm very comfortable with all the other positions. I find it very difficult, after many years of my life spent on this, to think that all the other hadith can just be whimsied away. 
that they're all weak or they all can be reconciled or whatever. And this reconciliation for me is the is the best. We'll come to that. Yeah. I don't understand this concept of choosing your opinion and sticking to it. Uh, uh, it's it's the madhab approach. It's this is our this is uh, there's two aspects behind it. One, they don't believe that the Prophet ﷺ could have varied his action. So they would say that the, a variation would indicate either a mistake on a, of a companion, or they would say variation indicates that some are abrogated. So if there's lots of hadith like this at the shoulders, and then there's five about the ears, they would say all of the shoulders are abrogated. It has to be therefore the ears only. Or if they said, you know, or if there was some other thing, they'd say there was a mistake. That's, that's what it means. Uh, the, other approach, the other aspect of that, sticking your opinion and, and, and the rest are no good, is because they're worried about confusion. And in fairness, so are we. They're saying that stick to this opinion and don't consider any other opinion. Okay? And you'll, you'll be fine because this is a scholarly, mujtahid opinion. And that, therefore, if you ignore the rest, then you're not going to be in trouble. You're not going to fall into any risk or whatever. So that's the, that's the, that's the rationale for that approach. Okay? All right. So let me just make it clear then that uh, the fingers that the uh, that is being described is يعني يضم بعضها لبعض يعني يرص بعضها لبعض. Okay, so they're not like this. So at no stage are the fingers outstretched, but they are together. Okay, they are together. All right. Um, and Sheikh Uthameen, he said, some of them, some of the scholars said, you spread them out. He goes, وَلَكِنَ الصَّحِيحِ مَا ذَكْرَ الْمُؤَلِّفِ لِأَنَّ الْوَادَ ذَا النَّبِي صلى الله عليه وسلم What has been narrated from the Prophet is that the fingers were not outstretched. So they're that. That doesn't mean that you put them like this. Alright? They are this. They are just together. They're not stuck together. And the hadith is, uh, the, 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 the reference uh, there is... He doesn't give the reference uh, to this hadith. He just gives the reference to Al-Mughni. Mamdudah يعني غير مقبوضة مقبوضة means like this, to grasp. So he's saying يعني open. Okay. والمد فتحها ضد القب يعني يعني تمد شيء means you stretch, stretch it out. Outstretch, the opposite of grasping or clasping. Okay. And this has been established in the Sunan as narrated by Imam Tirmidhi in the chapter of the prayer. But, yani, that, that which has been related to the spreading of the fin- fingers and the takbir and the hadith of Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu that he said, that he would raise his hands, fingers outstretched. Okay? And it has also been narrated by Imam Nasa'i 7884 and it is a hadith which is considered authentic. Okay? So that's what we learn in terms of thinking. So what's the conclusion with respect to all uh, of these? Okay, actually, let's just finish off that point. Kessajud, like a person would do in their sajda. So when a person is in their sajda, they place their hands on the floor like they would if you were to freeze this guy and make him stand up. If you were to lift him up in his sajda, then that's what he would look like. Alright, so that tells us immediately that, you know, when people make sajda like this, because this is not the section of the sajda, sajda is coming, but he just mentioned it. So people who make their sajda like this, that's not how you uh, do your, no one goes like this in the in takbir to ihram, do they? But you do see people in sajda like this. So, uh, and... Um, Anyway, yeah, that's, that's fine. Okay, questions on that, because now he's going to go to now sound. Before I talk about yani, sound and all the rulings, let's talk about yani, uh, hands and raising hands, positioning of hands. Anything we want to speak about that? Yeah. Is there any um, difference in... Spread this up. Is there any difference between them about raising the hands? Keeping them down during the There is, yes. That's way before it's time, bro. But I'm just saying, because in Umrah, I my hands. Uh, in between. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, there is a difference. Yeah. Because, yeah, there is a difference. But it's a massive, that's a, that, that's a long question. It all goes back down to what are you doing when you're not raising your hands? Are you standing? Are you praying? Are you whatever? And depending upon the classification, then that's where your hands should be. 
That's the whole, as we're going to see, when a person comes up, you know, you've seen some people praying next to you, you know, when they are in ruku'a and they stand up from ruku'a. And uh, when they raise their hands or don't raise their hands, some put their hands on their chest. And others put their hands at the sides. Yes? And the reason there's a difference there amongst the people in that act is because they're trying to, differ- they're trying to uh, say whether this person, is he standing or is this a new position? If he's standing, then you don't stand in the prayer except that your right is over the left. If this is a new position called the standing between ruku'a and sajda, then it would mean your hand should go down to the sides, which is a position of the majority. We say that there's no evidence for it to be qiyas, analogy on the position before, and so therefore it's a new position. And if it's a new position, then what's the principle? It's ibadah, and any action requires evidence. And so we need to have evidence to lift hands up from the side to the top. In the absence of that evidence for this new position, your default is hands at the sides. That's how it, that's, that's what, that, and the same argument will be extended to janazah and Eid and what happens to the takbirs in between. Okay? Right. What's the next uh, what's the thingy? Uh, the next questions? Okay. What time is the Isha? What time? No? So let's have a look at these questions, Ishaz. Okay. Take it down. Uh, time Alright, so the first question is about uh, breastfeeding during uh, Ramadan. Um, and if it really tires a person out, is it okay for her to fast alternative days in Ramadan using the day off to regain health, or is it better just to not fast? If the latter, what does she need to do afterwards in terms of making up the fasts and filia? Um It's difficult to say yani, which one's better, which one's not, because in principle you miss fasting due to this, then you do make it up. Okay? Um, and it, 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 it's a very good question because there isn't a position in the ayah that suggests that you're doing any one on gain energy, one uh, off, and whatever. Obviously, the concession in the ayah uh, of fasting is for a, a damage or, or harm to be caused to the mother 
unto the child. So, yani, a middle position, I don't know. I need to think about that. I need to think about that. Make sure, ask me in maybe another one week or something. Yeah. It is sunnah to a person should do that. But it's not sinful if they, if they weren't. Or... If they tried and they didn't do it, they're not sinful, no. Um, uh, the, the, so, question from last lesson, which you asked me to ask again. Um, despite agreeing with you that all of the actions we mentioned, the rafa'idain, the raising of the two hands, sitting mutawarraq, etc., I find it a bit ajib thinking that a person can pray one raka'ah with his hands on his chest, his second raka'ah with his hands on his side, one raka'ah sitting mutawarraq, I'm sure you get the gist. And this refers to a person deliberately changing these acts as opposed to someone praying with his hands to the side uh, of him being very tired. So let me just make it clear that I do not believe that this is the approach to every single different narration that exists in Islam. Okay? So I didn't say that a person sits tawarruk and then he sits nasab and then tawarruk. No. I believe that the sunnah is tawarruk big time. I don't believe tawarruk when you, when, you, when you sit in tashahud and your left foot comes out under the your, your your left buttock is on the floor as opposed to this you know when you're sitting on your left foot and in the third or fourth rakah of the far prayer your left buttock sits on the floor itself directly and your left foot comes up and it comes out of your right anyway always uh, I, my uh, my example is with the hands definitely I believe the hands because of the a number of hadith that are described different positions and that for me are authentic. Not enough of them are weak. So if they are all established, then you have to explain to me what is a solution. What are you going to be? What's your arguments going to be? You are either going to argue that that you are either going to argue that the complete, some of the companions made a mistake. You are either going to argue that all of one type of hadith are abrogated. What's another argument? You're going to have to argue that some of the hadith are da'if. That's the first place where you start. I don't buy any of these arguments. So if the only option I have left is that all of the hadith are established in the issue, not all, but the majority of the differing forms of hadith of raising ha- of, of placing hands are established, then what's your uh, solution? I am absolutely comfortable with the idea of changing hands. And you make a point of differentiating between a person doing it intentionally and a person being tired. I say to you, what's the difference between a person when they don't really care where their hands are? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? If you're not focusing on where the hands are, and you're in a qira'ah, or you're enjoying the meaning, or you're focusing on your salah, the hands are following the qira'ah. It's not the other way around, where you think, I cannot move my hands from this position. My hands are most so important. Don't move my hands. Make sure my... You don't think that. And when you're standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know that the sunnah is the right hand to go on the left hand. And you know that from the hadith that there are some here, some there, some there. My, my argument is, is that sometimes a person might drop his hands in the middle. Yeah, and whilst they're in the prayer and then put them back again. Or might, might move down slowly. Or might maybe itch and then go back. Meaning the point is, is that if you were to itch something and then you go right, okay, oh, there again. I don't think that's, I don't think that's a sunnah. I don't believe, I believe that when it goes back on again, it's just, it's tabi'ah. To the, to the ibadah, not the asl of the ibadah. The ibadah is the salah and the qira'ah and whatever. So I, that's my opinion. I, I, I told you even yesterday or the week before that it's not a popular one. It's not one you'll find written. I haven't read it in the books. But that's what I fully, fully believe. <laughs> yeah? Oh, in, 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 you mean you heard it himself? No, in your one of my lessons. You mean you heard it, him say it himself? Yeah. You know, no, Sheikh Ehlan follows this opinion. He's also a big believer in this opinion. He is also a big believer in this opinion as well. I mean, you know, Habibi, you know, people say, I'm just giving an example, right? People say the Malikis pray with their hands at the side, right? Malikis. Abdullah bin Zubair is the one who prayed with his hands at his side. He's his companion. Hadith Sahih. You, we don't try to you know, blame it on the Malikis. Blame it on the companion. We've got to work out you know, why did he pray with his hands on his sides. So I think issue is flexible. Flexible. No, no need to cause a problem. It's a good question though. Uh, my daughter is turning 10 soon. Should I be asking her to pray all five salah and waking her for fajr? Absolutely. But if, if it hasn't happened until now, then it's not going to happen just overnight. Fajr, what, 4 o'clock in the morning? 
mission, bro. Could have chosen winter to tell her. Rather than yani, slapping her in summertime. But yeah, we need to, we need to, we need to start it here. Uh, dua in the Quran, dua in sujood should not be from the Quran. Okay? Uh, if you can vary it because you understand Arabic, then fine. But in principle, no. Um, uh, there's a hadith which prohibits it. Uh, uh, if I want to hold a second walima of sorts back home and the couple remain in the UK, is it sunnah to do that? Uh, or is that okay to do that? Um, it's obviously not the sunnah, but I think it's permissible. I think it's permissible because I think the illa here is to make people happy. And if you're saying that I want to keep my people happy because they want a taste for my happiness, which is the whole point of walima, but I also want other people to benefit, then I think that's okay. It's a very good question because the idea would be that should, is it a bid'ah or not? Well, I think as long as you don't believe it to be establishing sunnah, but something you want to express your happiness via charity, and you don't make it a regular thing, then I think that's okay. Um, this is also another very good question. Just want to make it thingy, the, 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 for the few people I told bring binders and stuff after Isha. We'll just yani, gather here. Maybe if the sisters go pray over here and uh, back there or whatever. And I want to sit here with the benches like this, with the, with the binders to protect this house. Actually, before I forget... Saturday night in Birmingham I'll be teaching Dominion uh, 6 o'clock at Zymel's banqueting something whatever at maghrib.org slash Birmingham uh, what else do we have next week next week is our last lesson end of year 76 yeah and it is well, 32 or whatever it is I've got no idea okay um, 9.20 is the start time of the lesson 9.20pm and it's the last lesson and we'll restart yani, whenever I come back from my jollies yeah <laughs> Um, if it is from the sunnah to make dua for others, if it is, she, she's actually written, yeah, sorry, yeah, correct. If it is from the sunnah to make dua for others, which of course it is, okay, but not from the sunnah to ask others to make dua for you, which I personally believe that it that that that's correct. It's not the sunnah, okay, meaning that you should not ask other people to make dua for you. No, no, sorry, let me say that again. I do not believe it is sunnah to go up to another person and say, hey, can you make dua for me? That's what I mean, okay. Uh, and if a person, you know, is dealing with this, can we ask others to let us know what dua they would like us to make for them? Like a way round, okay? Uh, for example, when going on hajj. So I want to make something clear. It is permissible to tell another person, can you make dua for me? Okay? But I'm just saying it's not the sunnah. I don't think it's the way of the Prophet ﷺ. I don't think it's the way of Muslims. I don't think it's the way of the yani the aqidah of the sunnah. So yes, it is completely allowed uh, for you to do that. It is allowed. Also, if people habitually ask you randomly to keep them in your du'as, is it reasonable to ignore? <laughs> or are you obliged to make du'a for them? Obliged or not obliged? I don't know. If someone says make du'a, everyone says make du'a. That's why people have got to stop saying it, because it's silly. You know the Gujaratis, may Allah forgive them. It's become like, you know, it's like... It's like I love you. Let the Gore say I love you. I love you, honey. I love you. I love you. Every five seconds I love you, which basically means I don't love anyone. Yeah? And it's like Pakistanis, inshallah. It's all the same. Inshallah, inshallah. Which means nothing. Like nothing. I don't think any reward at all. When Pakistani says inshallah, it means nothing. When the Gore say I love you, it means nothing. When the Gujarat say Duamiyad, it means nothing. What's the other, what are the other nationalities? When the when the Arabs say kif al-hal, it means nothing. Because it just yani kif al-hal. Okay, alhamdulillah, kif al-hal, alhamdulillah, kif al-mur, alhamdulillah. They just keep asking again and again and again. I'm irritated. I got it first time. Yeah, khalas. Yeah. So there are certain phrases that certain cultures, they just say for conversational purposes. Okay, so duamiyad is, yani what is that? Anyway, Allah ta'ala a'lam. It's time for Salatul Isha. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Ashadu wa la ilaha illa antu wa astaghfirukallahumma wa atubu ilayk. Turn this to the sheikh.